Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a very interesting show for you today. Um, you know, I'm sure you've been hearing, well, first of all, it's called the Putin problem. Is this Cold War 2.0 or will Kanye save us? Kanye West, that is. Um, and I know that must must be befuddling to many of you. It was befuddling to me when I saw the news about it. But in any case, um, with all that we're going through with COVID and um, the economy and just, you know, all kinds of problems, um, probably you may not have been paying uh, super close attention to what is going on in Russia and what is going on in, with Putin and his um, his uh, uh, loading more and more troops onto the border with Ukraine. Well, um, I think you need to start paying attention, and I, I thought it would be a great idea um, to have someone who was a super expert on this. You know, I, I, his uh, I will tell you uh, some of his bio for starters, but um, we'd be—we literally would be here for the whole hour with me telling you it. Um, but you know, it's it, uh, what I can tell you. The the uh, is, and you'll agree, is that he probably knows a lot more about Putin and Russia than Kanye West, <laughs> to, to say the least. Okay, um, my guest is Brigadier General Peter Beeswack. He's a retired Brigadier General. He was uh, a defense attaché to Moscow. He's currently a global fellow at the Kennan Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. He was also a senior Russia-Eurasia research fellow at National Defense University. And is a uh, let me say, let me just mention his books, <laughs> which we're going to talk about. Um, there are two, main, two of his books that are particularly uh, relevant to this topic, Afghanistan, Kabul, Korea, One Soldier's Story of the Taliban, Tribes, and Loyalties, Opium, Trade, and Burqas. And the second book is Swimming the Volga, a U.S. Army Officer's Experiences in Pre-Putin Russia. Really um, interesting stuff because they're spoken from a very personal perspective, looking at at Afghanistan and and at Russia um, from his experiences, personal experiences. Um, Okay, (laughs) I want to get right to it. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Dr. Carol, for inviting me, and greetings to your listeners. Well, thank you. Um, You know, I, I was saying to Peter before the show that um, I, when I was researching him and researching this topic, but particularly trying to get, I mean, there are so many bios about him all over the Internet. And, um, and uh, I, I told him right before we started about how I couldn't find in any of the ones that I found, they did not say anything about um, 
his where he was born, uh, his childhood, and you know Peter as a psychiatrist. <laughs> of course, I'm interested in Russia and Afghanistan, but I want to know about your childhood. I want to know, um, to be specific, I want to know um, what, uh, how you got into doing all the things that you're doing, uh, of which I've only mentioned, you know, um, a couple of highlights, but. Um, like, where did you start? <laughs> I'm not going to totally, right. well, I can't promise. I was going to say I'm not going to totally analyze you, but I can't even promise that. Yeah. But I, I, it's really interesting to know how, I always find that interesting, how someone got to be in the position that they are in currently uh, with the books that they write and the um, and all the work that they've done. So could you take us back to uh, to your birth? Sure, sure. And um, uh, uh, again, uh, thank you, doctor, for the uh, question. Can I call you Carol? Um, and um, uh, I am sitting on a couch as we speak. So, uh, <laughs> so let's see. How, let's see how this goes. Um, I haven't quite had this question uh, asked of me. Um, no big surprises. I was uh, I was uh, born in uh, Chicago. Uh, to a, a, a old line American mother uh, and a Hungarian refugee that had to flee Hungary from the communists uh, and the Soviets in uh, 1948, at, uh, a few years after the end of the Second World War. He had a big, the family had a big business in Hungary called Unicum. It's a liquor business, and he fled uh, to the United States, made a new life for himself, met this wonderful American woman. And uh, they uh, lived in Chicago for 10 years. They had me and then moved to New York. And uh, so really my, my so-called formative years uh, in, in middle school and high school in Manhattan, in New York City. Um, I will say right up front, uh, I was uh, lively. I was precocious, uh, uh, not a particularly good student and had no idea where I was going to end up. And uh, I will tell this to your younger viewers or listeners that uh, when I go out and speak, 99% of you um, idea where you're going to end up 30 or 40 or 50 years from now. And you know what? Mm-hmm. That's okay. Just stay at it. Just stay in life. Stay trying to do things. Because that's what I did. I, again, I was a, a, a very average student, with, uh, uh, but with a lot of interest. Uh, and that came from my mother, who was interested in foreign affairs. Uh, she uh, got her master's uh, at Columbia in Russian studies. And then I had a father oh. who grew up uh, from the Cold War and had all of that Europe. So I got sort of, I got sort of grew up with that. And we would go and see movies, you know. Uh, my mother would take me to movies uh, that, that were... Uh, uh, of history and Russian history, and she took me to Jane Bond, James Bond's From Russia with Love, and I was ten years old. <laughs> so, 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 and that, it, so that got you know all of that, and uh, then I'm in New York, and this this is between uh, school sixty seven through seventy three, wild time. Uh, before I cut it all off, and then uh, and then later on it fell out. Uh, I had pretty long hair and uh, a pretty, uh, I would say. Uh, interested but fairly wild teenage, um, uh, went to college out at the University of Denver, uh, there on the five-year program, skied a lot, but learned a lot too. Um, and then from there, um, 
I got uh, my father was back in Europe. My my parents divorced and worked was working to get our company back and brought me into the wine business in Italy um, in seventy eight huh. to eighty. And so I mean, here I am as an American right out of college, uh, uh, living in Tuscany in Italy and working in a wine business, a cellar rat in one of these ancient old. Uh, sellers, and then working out in the vineyards of Chianti. And I do all that for two years. Now it's almost the end of 79. What's going on in the world? Because one thing I am is very interested in the world. I'd be reading the Herald Tribune every day. And um, you had um, a lot of anti-Americanism um, overseas and in Europe. Uh, the, the, um, the Iran hostage thing is going on uh, during the tail end of the Carter administration. And then the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan, and here I am. I'm very athletic. I'm very fit. I'm 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 I'm, I'm aware, but and I sense I need to do something to challenge myself to um, uh, and to contribute. Um, I felt I needed to serve, and all and 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 all of this to you know everybody works to slake those inner things that drive them, and so it was between Carol the Peace Corps for a few years, or the Army. And I joined the Army at uh, in a recruiting station in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Gramercy Park, Greenwich Village. I walked in, my hair and everything else, and I walked out, and I was signed up for the Army. I went to basic training, boot camp, two months later, uh, got my commission at Officer Candidate School, OCS. Uh, I didn't come up through ROTC at West Point. I couldn't have gotten into West Point. Uh, though I have a great relationship with them now. The, um, and so I joined the Army, and I'm in for three years. And, Carol, mm-hmm. where I screwed up is I joined for three and stayed for 34. And, huh. um, wow. and it's one of those life-change things. And you just take things on. And my first three years, I was going to take, and many of your listeners have been in this you, you take on every challenge, realistically, that is thrown at you. Uh, they provided me also a, a, a mission and a meaning in many ways, a structure, and I met incredible people. And why I'm a big believer, not necessarily in the military, but universal service and something for the nation, it also cross-pollinated, cross, it cross-leveled me with the rest of America. I, I met people from all walks of life and backgrounds and ethnicities, and religious, and that was good for me, um, as I believe it's for all of us. And, uh, and then I, uh, I, I was in the Army, as I said, for 34 years, uh, served in Afghanistan, in West Germany, in uh, the Balkans, Kosovo, and I'm writing another book about that. Uh, Afghanistan, which was, uh, which was quite an experience a decade ago, and I finished my military career uh, as the great honor of my life, I got asked to represent my nation, your nation, militarily and in defense uh, in Moscow between 2012 and 2014, which was a very, very, very complicated time. And towards the end of my time uh, was the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, and the annexation of Crimea. And, uh, and then uh, shortly after that, I retired and went into academia to teach to write uh, about all these experiences, and that is uh, what I do today. And um, I don't regret any of it. 
uh, Carol. Um, and, and life kind of, you kind of chart your life, but life kind of takes you and charts you. And uh, you find somewhere, and all along the way, you're meeting really interesting and mostly good people. Uh, and that's where I also learned, and I think it helped me in my life, in my military career, the golden rule, and it lives alive and well. You can be hard, you can be firm, but you treat people with respect and dignity um, uh, and ask them to treat you the same. And I tried that in all my foreign dealings, including, as difficult it would be, uh, with the uh, Russians, where I have major issues with what's going on politically and what they're doing in the world, but on a human basis, experience of the Russians have been good, and I have Russian friends as well. So I where you want to go, but how is this as a start? Yes, that's good. Okay. Um, so I'll say one other thing. I'll say, Carol, I'll say one other thing because this is the couch. Um, I grew up in the Cold War, and uh, we, I grew up, in the, as, as you did, uh, in the nuclear shadow. I mean, there was a great fear of, uh, of, um, of we grew up with all these, Movies, you know, Doctor Strangelove and Rocky and Bullwinkle and all of that. That was a scary time. And we all need to work and work hard to ensure we don't come back to those days again. Um, um, and I think that's why it's very important, as difficult and as much disagreement we have, that we're talking to Russians today. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, you know, I would imagine um, that well, your fascination with Russia in particular was uh, engendered, I mean, I would have, you know, your father, if I understand things correctly, um, it was because of Russia that your father and, and what Russia did to Hungary, right, <laughs> that your father um, fled Hungary. Well, that's right. Russia, yeah, basically, that's... the communist. Yeah, the con- Yes, you did. The communists in Russia, that that the the, the, the Soviets uh, 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 invade or liberate because the Nazis were there, uh, Hungary, uh, and and um, but but it's an invasion. And my father is a fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old teenager in one of the worst city fight siege battles. Uh, in in uh, modern military history, the siege of Budapest in forty four forty five. So he sees death. He sees uh, you know a million civilians are trapped in there, uh, and the Soviets win. And then we know the end of the Second World War, and then you get the Cold War, and then the Hungarian communists come, uh, and they uh, nationalize my uh, my father, my family's business, and they flee basically. Uh, for their lives, or either going because they would have surely been um, uh, arrested by the communists. So yes, he grew up uh, passionately uh, anti-communist. Yes. Okay, that's where I was going. Okay, so I would imagine that that had consciously or unconsciously a significant impact on your being particularly interested um, in Russia. Uh, you know, relations, things having to do with Russia, um, especially when you were there and all that. Which book came first? Oh, I didn't mention. Oh, I thought I was going to. Um, yes, I did. I did mention the books. But which came first, Swimming the Volga or the yeah. Afghanistan book? Yeah, um, I'm going to get at one point that you just touched on uh, that I think it's important. One other reason I joined the Army um, was in some subliminal way to thank our nation, the United States, 
for taking in my family, the, my father and family, the way they did. He became a proud American citizen here. He later became the Hungarian ambassador to Hungary, excuse me, to the United States. And that's a whole other story we can talk about later. So, so there's a long history between my father, Hungary, and the, the, the almost the spirituality of what the United States meant uh, to uh, my family. And I think it rubbed off certainly on me as well. Another reason I joined the Army. Uh-huh. Well, that's a perfect place to uh, end this segment, which we unfortunately need to do. I, I have so many questions. Um, we, <laughs> you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Uh, my guest is Brigadier General Peter Zwack. We're talking about the Putin problem. Is this Cold War 2.0, or will Kanye West save us? I think when we come back, we'll start with Russia, and then I would like to talk maybe in the third segment a little bit about Afghanistan and the horrendous uh, surrender that Biden did. But let's start Absolutely. with Absolutely. I will follow your lead. All right. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the Putin problem. Is this Cold War 2.0, or will Kanye West save us? Um... My guest is Brigadier General Peter Zwack. He is the author of two books. I think we'll start with the first one that has to do with Russia. And um, assume, um, Peter, that (laughs) 
that we are not, neither I nor my listeners are experts in Russian history. So, sure. Um, could you please uh, talk about how you know a little bit about what it was like when you were swimming the Volga? As the book is "Swimming the Volga: A U.S. Army Officer's Experience." in pre-Putin Russia, and then bring us up to today what you think is happening and is going to happen with the Russian uh, on the precipice of invading Ukraine. Um, uh, Again, um, yes, I will. And uh, I will um, first uh, start with the um, premise of the book, the metaphor, Swimming the Volga. Uh, In 1989... Um, I'd been in the Army now for uh, almost nine years. I was a young Army captain, uh, a Cold Warrior captain. I was in a nuclear-capable artillery unit, a cannon unit, uh, you know, uh, the part designed to, you know, if necessary, go to Europe and, and help stop the Soviets and the Warsaw Pact. So all of, I grew up steeped in that. And then you have Gorbachev Reagan, which was an extraordinary thing to see happen. Um, when, uh, when the, uh, uh, you had something, you, you had, uh, the beginning of something called Glasnost and Perestroika opening and, and, uh, restructuring. And I get, uh, permission to go with an American college group from, uh, Brown University and University of Rochester in the summer of 89, uh, to study in a provincial Russian city called, uh, Klinin, there. Something, you know, the size of Toledo or uh, Rochester, uh, not Moscow. Mm-hmm. And, and I spend the summer there studying, and we're with Russian uh, students. We're in a Russian university. And uh, it, 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 on the afternoons in the summer, we would walk down to the Volga River, which is the greatest river in western Russia at, that, that cuts right across, and we'd uh, jump in. And uh, we would swim across the river. It was about three, four hundred yards at that point. And, uh, and we would sit on the side of the river and play chess and games and picture. And, you know, and that was sort of the metaphor. That's why I called the book Swimming the Volga. But why it's also personally personal to me, friends, is that I met a lot of Russians, students, teachers, young business people. Uh, and I came back eight times um, between 1989 and 99 and uh, with various visas that was still open and visited a lot of these people and the same town. So this book is a, a is basically a, a story. I'm storytelling that 10 years of Russia uh, when I'm there with an eyewitness view, meeting Russians, seeing how the end of the Cold War comes and then the breakup of the Soviet Union exactly 30 years ago. This is a huge thing I hope we talk about a little bit later when in Putin. And then I'm there throughout the, uh, the more liberal democratic years. And in the book, I'm beginning to write and see how things are changing this, this hope um, almost naive hope, enthusiastic hope for democracy and business, and we're all going to get starts to fail with the black marketers and the former KGB guys that are grabbing the businesses, um, and it's and the, the experiment with democracy is beginning to uh, teeter. Uh, and then uh, and then the book ends in 1999, and then one year later, um, 
Vladimir Putin comes into power. And I and most of the people who really paid attention at the time knew his name but had no idea that he would come into power. So this is a period piece book. It's, it's got humor. It's got sadness. Uh, and I, I, I just published it a few months ago with the 30th and put in an up-to-date forward and afterward so it's contemporary to what's going on now, remembering the 30th anniversary in the future. So now Putin... Um, um, I think that I and many other what you would call Russia hands, and by that point, you know, 99, I was a pretty serious Russia guy, um, uh, though I was also serving in, in uh, the Balkans and Afghanistan and all these things we'll talk about. And I think we all underestimated him. I did. Um, certainly, certainly, he's not our friend. Um, he is now, I think, a, an adversary. Um, but... Uh, we, we, we miscalculated him. We underestimated him. Ah, he's just a KGB stooge, and he's going to be out in a few years. He's been in power for 22 years. And as such, um, has, uh, is, is in his construct, uh, rational uh, and canny. Um, but he, and he understands the mechanisms of power as well as anybody. Um, and he survived several rounds of major protests, uh, he's a balancer, um, um, uh, but also uh, 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 very proud, and I think this pride will get in his way sometimes, and potentially very, very dangerous. Uh, if that pride and an element of resentment in how he feels the West treated him, but it's hard for us to tell them how they've been treating us. So there's a lot of baggage in, uh, in uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, wildly successful by any estimate. Um, uh, but we're in this difficult, I would say, awful continuum with Russia uh, that, that, friends, Russia extends, and most of you would know this, how many time zones? How about 11 time zones? It's just, mm-hmm. what, five or six from uh, New York City to Honolulu? It's longer on the Trans-Siberian Railroad from, uh, from um, Moscow to Vladivostok on the Pacific Ocean than it is from flying to Honolulu from New York. It's huge. And, and you would think that the population of Russia is huge because they carved most of those 11 time zones out of the hide and carcasses of old empires and civilizations um, um, and have created a lot of difficult borders for themselves. But how about, especially after the breakup of the Soviet Union um, in 1991, the Russian population in this gigantic country, and there's no other word but gigantic, enormous, how about 145 million people, plus or minus? What is the population of the, Ameri- of the United States? Uh, what are we about, what, uh, 320 million, something like that? So Russia's yeah. population is 40% ours, about one-third of Europe, and one-eighth to one-ninth of that with the People's Republic of China. And Russia shares a border with China as long as our American border with Canada so I'm just trying to give you perspectives. So when we look at Russian paranoia and schizophrenia and xenophobia about its borders, now they brought a lot of it on themselves. 
but they are punching way over their weight, except for the size of their country and national resources and nuclear weapons. So Putin has all of this that they're managing. I'm an American. I'm a proud European supporter, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Yes, they're warts, but it's an alliance, and that's one of the things that the U.S. has, is that we have real allies. Um, and the Russians uh, have often in the world been out there alone or with makeshift groups of allies that were close, but they have developed a partnership. They're not allies with China, and we need to watch that very, very closely. So Putin is doing a lot of balance, but China traditionally has been a threat to Russia. Last thing, because I don't want to get too academic, is uh, I encourage if, uh, those of you that are interested in maps, um, just, uh, just even if you've seen it a hundred times, just look at a map of Russia, and then look at Europe, and look at uh, Ukraine, where these problems are, uh, and Belarus, and the Black Sea. And, uh, and I believe that Russia and the West have to find a way to sort it out. And, um, but as the Russians will remind us, remember, in the lifetime of my grandparents, as one old grandmother pulled in my t- general, in my lifetime, this is in ten year, no, seven years ago, during the Crimean crisis, in my lifetime, in the lifetime of my parents, and grandparents, the Nazis came from the West, and 20 to 26 million of us Soviets, mostly Russians, died as they, as they stepped on the throats of our villages and towns. As Americans, it's hard for us to wrap our head around that statistic. It does not excuse the Russians for their often out of bounds and, and, and aggressive behaviors, but might give a reason uh, to help understand why they are so sclerotic at times about the West. But we've got to figure it out with them one way or the other, because on a bad day, they have nuclear weapons, we have nuclear weapons, and we could <laughs> accidentally yeah. take each other off the planet. So we've got to find a way. Okay, so why is it, and um, why, okay, why are the Russians, um, why have they been putting troops on the Ukrainian border, and why are they increasing the troops and the, uh, the um, helicopters and all kinds of uh, arm- sure. armaments? What, what is they, why are they bothering to do all of this? Well, it all goes back, and again, I don't want to get too academic here, but again, it's, this, it's the notion of the West. I go back 30 years ago. Imagine, and it, and it, was, it, was in, it, it, it should have been for all, and it was for us, a joyous moment, uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union. What did that mean, friends? That means on the day after Christmas in 1991, the Soviet Union... Uh, this huge country that was made up of 15 different republics, including Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, all these broke away. And all of these republics, including Russia, they're like big states, became independent nations. Now, if you're a proud, patriotic Russian, you don't need to be a nationalist. Just You wake up and all of a sudden, your country is broken up, of which you are the dominant group, into 15 different nations. 
Um, 14 of them are not Russia. And probably a third of them can't stand you and are delighted or have to be out of it. And, and, and so there's a lot, and, and, and a lot of people in the West are saying, well, we won the Cold War, you know, Russia, weak country with nuclear weapons and all of that. So their pride is, is stung as well. Um, and um, so you have all of that. This was an incredible moment in history that should have been uh, a, 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 that, that in a perfect world, in the beginning, of the, and I write about this time, I'm in Russia a lot, during the period after the breakup, and, and again, a lot of dashed hopes uh, in Russia, uh, which are capitalized and, and basically taken over by, uh, by opportunists and all of that. So, so we are in this situation in Ukraine where the Russians don't, and they're wrong. I want to say this right now. They're wrong. A lot of them see Ukraine as not a real nation, not an independent it's really part of greater Russia and the Soviet Union, and, they, and we don't support their independence uh, anymore because they did. They supported them by treaty as late as 1994. But, but Ukraine and Russia and their history and, uh, and peoples are interwoven in a lot of ways, though they are also distinctly different. Ukraine has been different. It is a free nation, and Russia is not willing to accept that and they and and now you are in the situation. You're watching on TV, NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. I'm a big believer in it. I believe that NATO and Russia should be able to coexist. Nobody in NATO wants a conflict with Russia, but Russia sees NATO as an instrument, first and foremost, foremost of the West, especially the United States, and it's expanding east into the old countries, if you will, of the Soviet Union traditional Russian sphere and interest area. And the Russians will put on this, you know, go back into their memory, some of it put on, and saying, but, you know, this is a threat, and it's a military threat. Nazis came through here. And uh, the Ukrainians should not and could not ever be part. Now, nobody right now believes Ukraine or Georgia or Belarus are going to come into NATO anytime soon. And nobody's asking them to come into NATO. But the principle of NATO and free nations in the United is that the door is open when the time is right. And remember NATO, which America is only one of 30 nations, um, um, the, the, founder, found, the founding principle is that it votes at 30, it makes decisions at 30, and it's not just an American thing. Now, uh, we are having discussions with Ukraine, and we are, we are uh, supporting them with ground weapons and things like that, because there is a very real threat of a Russian invasion. Um, because okay. of all uh, the... Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait, let me... I, I, I'm seeing that we're going to be interrupted, and I'm trying to find a good... A good space to do it. Why, so why don't we do it right. right there and pick up when we come back um, with that. I mean, you explained it really well, uh, you know, because I know it's very convoluted. <laughs> you explained it really well. Uh, my guest is Brigadier General Peter Zwack. We're talking today about the Putin problem. Is this Cold War 2.0 or will Kanye save us? So stay tuned.
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about the Putin problem. Is this Cold War 2.0, or will Kanye West and if you still don't have a clue what I'm talking about, about Kanye West, we will, we will get into that. Um, let's continue with where we were, um, talking about, you know, why Russia is and Putin um, have, have increased their forces at the border of uh, Ukraine, and in particular, why now? Like, did Putin wake up one day and he was bored? And he thought, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna get, I, I don't like uh, having lost all these countries these, who became independent. I want Ukraine back. Uh, maybe because uh, the people from Ukraine, uh, they, they were the, the, two, the two bombers. Um, the Boston bombers were from Ukraine. Maybe he wanted the publicity or something. Anyhow, um, my guest is Brigadier General Peter Zwack. Um, one of his books is called Swimming the Volga, a U.S. Army Officer's Experiences in Pre-Putin Russia. And um, so we, let's, uh, let's continue with that. You really explained, um, you know, where we up to now, where we are and why. So why don't you take us to today, today's time? Yes. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, I think, uh, again, friends, it's very important um, when we talk NATO and all the big organizations, it can become quite confusing with all this. But fundamentally, NATO uh, in 19, again, 1991, the Soviet Union breaks up. And there are arguments about who said what about NATO expansion, enlargement. Uh, There was no official position. Uh, But there, but NATO, it took eight years 
So this wasn't a Western NATO plot to expand NATO. It took eight years between 91 and 99 for the first three nations of the formerly Central Eastern Europe that used to be under Soviet occupation, um, um, uh, not even part of the Soviet Union, to come into NATO. And that was Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic. Um, uh, and it was Hungary from where my father came from um, um, as, a, as a refugee. And if you want to come full circle, Hungary joining NATO, if you want a, a family story, um, I'm at this point a, uh, a army lieutenant colonel serving in Germany, and my father uh, has come back to Hungary and he's in his business, but he's also working in uh, in. Uh, there in in uh, politics and all that. Well, in this world turned upside down of the world of, of the end of the Cold War, the West coming in and, and Hungary coming in, he becomes, as I touched on, Hungary's first ambassador to the United States of newly democratic Hungary, and it just shows the full circle. I'm in the army, and you have this where where we both completely supported NATO and were different parts of all of that. Now, this type of story is happening hundreds of other places in Czech, in Czech Republic, in Poland, and then NATO continues to very carefully but deliberately um, expand into the Baltic Republics, Romania and Bulgaria, um, uh, and, 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 and uh, to where we are now, up until uh, 2000. Uh, and one uh, in uh, in the Balkans. Now, the Russians were originally part of something called NATO's Partnership for Peace, but the relationship just didn't go well. The Russian uh, government's regimes changed. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had situation in uh, in, uh, in in the Balkans and Iraq. Relationships really start to go bad. We had hoped after 9-11 there had been a hope things would get better. The Russians did put out a peace dealer, but it, things were really, really going tough at this time. So to get, make a long story short, Ukraine sees these other countries that have gotten in NATO, sees and, and, and wants security. And there were two reasons NATO exists, in my mind, after the Cold War. And the biggest one at the immediate end was to bring in all these countries in between Central and Eastern Europe, between Russia and, and, and uh, Central Europe, that had been caught in between in these horrible wars and, and the Holocaust and invasions, East, West, North, South, they all wanted to be part of a security structure where they were protected. And also, with that, you keep clamps on nations having claims in other nations, like the Nazis did, and stop all this dangerous right wing, which in theory, as we tell Russians, would be dangerous to Russia. However, uh, that dog does not hunt anymore. Ukraine wants in. Um, they, have, uh, they have the right to request in. Nobody is going to bring them in right now because NATO is first in the defensive alliance. And we saw that in 2014. I was in Moscow. It was a very anxious, hard time as a one-star general uh, in our embassy. And that is when, the, uh, when, uh, when uh, Ukraine wanted to join the European Union Association. And for a bunch of reasons, right after Sochi, 
uh, the Russians um, um, invaded Crimea, and it was a stealth invasion, which, uh, which they feel was historically always part of Russia, but it was legally part of Ukraine, and they invaded their proxies, their, their, their um, uh, proxy forces, what you call Eastern Ukraine. Ukrainians fought, actually, and modern Ukraine, I think, were, was born in the terrible battles in 2014 and 15, of which it stopped with uh, Minsk Accord and all of that. Those are the boundaries. So let me wait, wait. So, so let me, yeah. I'm getting concerned that we're running out of time. So let me try yeah. to like uh, try to clarify for me anyway. Um, so basically, what you're saying is that um, Russia, Putin, um, started getting concerned that Ukraine was showing too much interest in NATO and vice versa, and that they were going to be leaving, that that was, that they were going to ultimately any minute now uh, join NATO, and that was threatening to Putin. Is that? that, that, I, that that's correct. That's correct. And in eastern Ukraine, you also have um, a number of ethnic Russians um, uh, and, and, um, that are caught, uh, you know, that are, you know, being basically played, I think, by the Russians. Uh, however, they're caught in between. A lot of them want to remain Russian and all that. Yes. So, so all of this is going on. You had a, and Russia already has invaded Ukraine. They invaded them seven years ago, eight years ago now. Um, and, uh, but we've had this line now, and now, uh, with the, all of these discussions and the tensions, the Russians are now been posturing on the border. They have the ability to launch an attack, um, but it, but they are, I think, also want to make a point. They're holding back. They're also seeing that re- we're resolute. Uh, we're not going to put U.S. and European soldiers into Ukraine, but we're doing everything short of that to support because the, we're they, we're not beholden to Ukraine in a defense treaty like the NATO nations. We are with them, so it's a very dangerous thing. Last thing on this, and you used the term just right. Um, I think that while we are in many ways diplomatically at a precipice, the Russians are at a precipice. They know if they invade. Now they've got the whole world watching, all of Europe watching, more economic sanctions. The Russian people might not all buy into it. And the Russians are also very worried about what's going, you know, around in governments. And I'll stop on this line. The 30th anniversary, they're also completely um, um, uh, nervous about what you call color revolutions, meaning nations that fall to democracies. Um, and you see the 30th anniversary countries right now that used to be part of the old Soviet Union are having major problems. One is certainly uh, Ukraine, Belarus. How about, this, uh, how about Kazakhstan, which is right near, right near Afghanistan, and, 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 and Georgia, and Armenia and Azerbaijan. So there are a lot of things now on Russia's old periphery. They, these are independent nations, all right, and, and, and should not be under a so-called Russian sphere of influence. Certainly the Russians have interests. But we will not accept it because they were part of the Soviet Union that Russia is the dominant country. So, so much, friends, is going on, but, but, but uh, Ukraine is in the middle of it. 
we're sticking up for the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians look like they're going to fight. The Russians know if they invade, I think, that they're going to get into a very difficult situation where they could probably win the first fight. Now they're there in an unpopular war, partisans and, 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 and all of that in the rear, and the prospect of their own population getting really nervous and unhappy when Russian body bags come back. And also, one-third yeah. of the Russian military are draftees, are conscripts, meaning they would be occupying in an unpopular war something that could go on and on and on. If there's anything we've learned as Americans, it's really easy to get started in a war, in a conflict. It's really hard, as we saw yes. uh, with Afghanistan. Yes, yes. And plus, I wouldn't imagine that the Russians want... Um want all that money going to fighting the war when they're having enough problems with their, um, you know, uh, that's right. Living their, uh, what am I trying to say? The, uh, their, you know, their, their quality of life. Um, yes. one quick, we're, we're, we're pretty much just a, a 20 second answer. What do you think is going to happen when uh, Kanye West goes over there? I think it'll be, uh, you know what the hell of them. Let them go. Uh, it will be a media circus. It will be a cultural event. And frankly, in my mind, the more cultural events we have of the Russians right now when things are so bad, um, I think the American people are smart enough to be able to, to figure out you know, how, how, how this is going on. So uh, I, I'm not going to lose much sleep about it. It will be a circus. <laughs> it will, uh, and, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Well, I, I hope Putin likes Kanye's music. <laughs> Let's say that. Well, um, it shows okay, the fact well, that they're you. doing it. Yeah. The fact they're bringing him say in and his music, the fact that they're bringing him and his music in where yes. they were, is okay. This is good. Yes, yes, yes. That's true. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Brigadier General Peters Wack. You were very, very interesting, very informative. Again, your book is called Swimming the Volga, a U.S. Army Officer's Experiences in Pre-Putin Russia. And then your second book, which maybe I'll have you back and we'll, when Afghanistan is again, the news again, which obviously, uh, that is, that story isn't over. The second book is Afghanistan, Kabul Courier. One Soldier's Story of the Taliban, Tribes, and Loyalties, Opium Trade, and Burkers. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 